0: We'll only be here about three more hours, so you just hang in there. Uh, <laughs> now, we'll, we'll be finishing right around on time, so don't worry too much. Roads are still good. Heat's working in here. We're in good shape. Luke chapter 19. Uh, the passage we'll be reading together, the text today, uh, is one that you're probably more familiar with around a, a day called Palm Sunday. You'll hear that term uh, around the Easter season, not the Esther season, but the Easter season. Uh, Palm Sunday, uh, it's debatable uh, whether Jesus actually arrived there on Sunday. Many scholars believe he ra- arrived on the Sabbath uh, and then some believe he did arrive on Sunday, but uh, as you know, uh, or maybe you don't, you know, the Jewish calendar is a little different anyway it's a new day when the sun sets, so it's very likely he straddled both Shabbat uh, and uh, the first day of the week uh, on this entrance day. But nevertheless, uh, without getting into that, let's look at the text, Luke chapter 19, starting verse 28. And when he had said this, this is what we read last time we were together, the text before. But when he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and to Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where you enter you'll find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here, and if anyone asks you why are you loosing it, thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. But as they were loosening the colt, the owners had said to him, why are you loosening the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. They brought brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt. They set Jesus on him and when he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king of the... Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called him from the crowd saying, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Let's pray. Father, we ask now for the blessing of your word. Uh, we thank you for what you've already been doing in our midst through worship and just hearing your heart uh, for the the house of Israel. And now, Lord, we pray that uh, as we study your word, uh, that we would learn and apply that which the Spirit uh, would have each and every person to know, understand, and walk in. And we ask these things in your name, amen. Now, I'd like us to look briefly uh, at this text historically, because, of course, everything uh, that the Bible mentions as historic is historically accurate, precise and write on the money. Uh, But also we'll look at it prophetically uh, because this does fulfill an important Old Testament prophecy, uh, one that related to Messiah uh, that Jesus would fulfill on coming into (laughs) Jerusalem here. But then the majority of our time this morning, we'll look at uh, applying what it is the Spirit would have us to learn from this and how we can apply to our lives. Because you might look at this and say, is there is there some discipleship principles here? Is there something that, that I could apply in my life and we'll look at those things together? But I'd like to give a little bit of a, a background. To, um, Jack had some slides, so I, not to be outdone, I made sure that I had some too. But uh, um, if you can pull up, Alex, the one deck, the, fir- uh, the one that I was using a minute ago, and we, we'll get past these. And this is where I want to start, uh, from a historical aspect. Now, if you've been with us in the study of Luke, uh, Jesus, uh, in his ministry, approximately three full years of ministry, public ministry, remember that uh, he was certainly alive before his ministry, but we don't have much about those silent years uh, from the time last time we see him at the age of 12 in the temple, and then there's this gap until his ministry begins Shortly after John the Baptist comes on the scene, well, as he as he's headed to Jerusalem, here, uh, remember in our previous text, they were asking the question: If you're with us uh, last week, uh, when the kingdom of God was going to appear? They thought it would appear what? Immediately, imminently, and they thought Jesus was going to be the king. That was going to supplant the Roman Empire similar to David or Solomon, that he would set up a regal royal rule and that uh, those that were Jewish would no longer be under the authority of Rome, but they would be back uh, as kind of the nation that the world would look to, uh, a glorious nation. But Jesus was indeed headed to Jerusalem, but not for the purposes that they thought. And so this was his ascent, his final ascent to Jerusalem. He had been to Jerusalem before, we believe at least no less than six times, but certainly could have been more times than that. And he was in Jericho, if you recall. But if you're in Jericho, it's about 24 and a half miles from Jericho, uh, even to this day. Uh, you guys probably remember, you can ride that highway. I don't know, you might even know the number of it. The highway that, that takes you from Jericho right on up into Jerusalem. And they would walk that same mountain pass up ascending. They would sing in the Psalms the song of ascents as they were headed to Passover. This was the season of Passover. Uh, The Jewish people would be coming from all over, not just Israel, but all over the world, all over the ancient world, to descend upon Jerusalem to participate in Passover. So Jesus is moving this 20, he's walking this path about 25, 24 and a half miles up a steep mountain climb into Jerusalem. Now when he gets to Jerusalem, before he gets to Jerusalem, as the text tells us, he comes near Bethany, and Bethpage. And so this is the ascent uh, as he comes in. Now as he approaches from Jericho, if you look here, Jericho would be way over here. Uh, so the road from Jericho would come up the mountain pass and then around, and you can see uh, Bethany here and Bethpage. We don't know exactly where Bethpage was, uh, but we know it was very near uh, Bethany and th- on this map it's it's suggesting that Beth Page and Bethany were about a half mile apart. Villages could be rather close to each other and yet still be considered two separate villages uh, today that we would consider that oh that's all MidLothian, right? <laughs> we would just say like, but that the villages could be separate places but not be too far. Uh, apart. Now whether that's actually where Bethpage is is irrelevant. It's somewhere near Bethany, we don't know exactly, but we know where Bethany is and Bethany is still uh, there today. It's on the east side of the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus would have been traveling that same road and ultimately he would enter uh, as he would descend, so he'd come up into Jerusalem. Once you get up in Jerusalem it's kind of like up on a plateau and then you've got these little mountain peaks like Mount Olives, Mount Scopus, these different, uh, Mount Zion where the temple actually is. And so Jesus would come around this road here, around the Mount of Olives, Bethany's here, and then the road here is actually on the side, If you uh, that, that road is still right there where, the, where the, uh, you can see the, uh, all the Jewish burial grounds right there on the Mount of Olives, but that little road where all the buses are parked. Uh, You can look straight down, actually the picture that Jack and Angie, you're looking straight down at the Temple Mount there, the Dome of the Rock is in the background, and uh, the Dome of the Rock today is right here where the Temple is. And Jesus is moving down, it says that he's descending down the Mount of Olives, down the Mount of Olives uh, towards the Temple. Now while that's important is many scholars believe, and I, I believe as well, that he was moving towards the East Gate Of the temple. Now, there are some that believe he actually came into the sheep gate, which would make good sense as well because he is the Lamb of God. But he also, uh, it was common at this time for Passover to enter directly through. The the, the east gate was wide open for the entrance into Passover, all these travelers coming in. Um, And we'll get back to why that uh, matters a little later. But uh, in 1517, the Ottoman Turks, uh, they conquered Jerusalem under Suleiman Suleiman the Magnificent, you might have heard of Suleiman before. And he ordered the city's ancient walls to be rebuilt. All the walls around uh, Jerusalem were to be rebuilt. Uh, During that rebuilding, he ordered the eastern gate, the only one that he did this to, he ordered the eastern gate to be walled up with stones so no one could actually enter the eastern gate. And we don't know definitively, but uh, it is believed that he actually consulted with Jewish rabbis who expressed to him that their Messiah would someday enter gloriously and victoriously through what? The Eastern Gate. And he said, well, I'll fix that. There will be, there'll be no way to enter the Eastern Gate. And inter- interestingly enough, uh, the Eastern Gate is the only of the gates that's built directly over the original East Gate that Solomon also built. So it sits directly over the foundation. So not only is the The rebuilt gate walled up, but the original gate that Solomon built is under the ground, and it's walled up with earth. Psalm 24-7, we have this interesting verse that that kind of relates to this. It says, lift up your heads, O you gates, plural. O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall what? Come in. That the gates that are even under the earth... When God sends the earthquakes, it's going to split the Mount of Olives in two. It's very likely, or possible, we don't know how God will do this, but those gates may very well come up and the Lord enter in. In Zechariah 14.4 it says, In that day uh, he will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. There's the Mount of Olives. It's on the east side of Jerusalem. So when you're, if you're in the temple, you would be looking east at the Mount of Olives. And it says... And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two when Jesus stands on it. In his glorified return to the earth, he'll stand on the Mount of Olives. The same descent. Now why I'm showing you all this is because the day of the triumphal entry, he is moving down the Mount of Olives towards the east gate. But the scriptures tell us that those gates will come back into play again, and he'll be back on the Mount of Olives. He'll be standing and looking at the exact same direction back towards the temple when he returns. Now, Jerusalem at the time of Christ. If you're interested, kind of what it looked like, this is a very good rendering. A lot of historical studies. uh, No matter how many times you'll see renderings, they all resemble something like this. We know a lot about what Jerusalem looked like. The Romans kept a lot of records. There's a lot of information. Josephus tells us a lot. And the temple, if you know, if you were alive at that time, it dwarfs the landscape. Uh, The the grounds of the temple, the massive walls. Around the temple today, when you see people praying at the western wall, that's right there, right? Sometimes called the Wailing Wall. They don't really, Jewish people in Israel don't really refer to it as that, but they just refer to it as the western wall because at the lowest part of the foundation, that would have been what was remaining from uh, Herod's temple here. And the rest of the city, this is these walls here, see that little wall area there? That was the old city that David, King David had built. It's called the Lower City or the Old City if you go to, go to Israel. And uh, Jack had mentioned how many you'd like to go. We, we would love to take a church trip in 2017. Start saving your pennies. It's not cheap to get to Israel, by the way. And, uh, and then you have the, you know, the, this is the rest of the city that was built under the time of the Roman Empire. But Jesus is descending through the Mount of, on the Mount of Olives and right towards the East Gate, right there. Rome uh, at this time, and Herod had done an amazing work with the temple. The temple was so magnificent. This is why the disciples in the Olivet Discourse, that's why they asked Jesus to look at the magnificence of the temple and he was then telling them, well not one stone will be left that's not turned on itself because they couldn't fathom that magnificent building which really should be considered one of the ancient wonders of the world it would if it was under any other culture, I believe, than the fact that it was under the Jewish culture because it would have been as magnificent as any building the world had ever seen. Not only its grandeur in size, but the ornate gold that was on the top of the temple, just the bright marble that would shine in the distance as you would uh, walk towards it. Uh, but Norval uh, Geldenhus, he wrote, at last, as Jesus is, he's speaking of Jesus' uh, approach to the city, he says, at last, Jerusalem the temple city in which the greatest and holiest drama on earth would be staged the following week is immediately in vicinity. So Jesus is approaching what we would sometimes refer as the Passion Week. He's approaching Jerusalem the week that he's going to give his life as a sacrifice in this beautiful glorious city but it's going to be an ugly scene by the end of the week. This shows you uh, just a rendering of the throngs uh, as Josephus mentioned, I, th- I said this last week, uh, he said that up to 2 million people would descend upon Jerusalem. As some have suggested, that was an exaggeration on his part. It doesn't matter, it was still a whole lot of people. And he was saying uh, that the city was bursting at the seams with, with uh, travelers from all over the Mediterranean area, Africa, the Middle East, that were Jewish, that were coming to celebrate Passover. This was the one time that they would make the extra effort to save and get there for Passover. So you have uh, thousands of people arriving at this time, and Jesus has his disciples that already have been following him and listening to his teaching, uh, but then other people that are arriving are probably hearing, who is this guy? Uh, who, is, who are they talking about? Who are they all thronging around? And if they're Jewish from other parts of the world, well, could it be that this could be? the leader that we've been hoping for. And so you see the descent there as it comes down the mountain, Mount of Olives. And lastly, we see his entrance into Jerusalem. Uh, He's on the fall of a donkey, a young donkey. Uh, Why this was uh, interesting as well is, um, you ever heard the term stubborn as a mule? Young donkeys don't like to be ridden. And if they've never, it said a donkey that had never been sat on. For the most part, if you try and sit on a donkey that's never been sat on, you and the donkey are going to have some issues. Because the donkey does not like someone to sit on it if it's never been sat on. But again, when the Son of God sits on the donkey and says, relax. (laughs) The donkey's going to relax. Everything's going to be okay. And he's sitting on this young donkey. But he comes on the young donkey, not, not just miraculous that had never been touched, and and the fact that uh, Jesus can calm any animal is not going to be an issue for him, although it might be for us. But he's coming as a sign of peace. He's not on a war horse. He's not on a majestic war horse. He's on a donkey. And most, again, you wouldn't see Alexander the Great riding a donkey around, right? Attila the Hun riding a donkey around. That's just not the way those guys rolled. War horse. No, he's the prince of peace. His birth proclaimed peace. Remember, at his birth, uh, the angels said, uh, peace on earth. He came to secure our peace with God. He didn't come on a horse. That would would signify uh, a warring king. And that was common among the king's rulers. It was common for the Roman rulers to ride on a horse, but he doesn't come on a horse. And Matthew, actually in Matthew's gospel, he actually quotes from Zechariah 9.9 that he comes lowly, humbly. Lowly and humbly, Matthew uh, reiterating what uh, the prophet Zechariah had written. And so I want to now, uh, we'll shift gears, and if your Bibles are open, again, we're going to look at these things from uh, an application perspective. If you're taking notes, the first thing I want to look at is, when we look at this story of Jesus, both historically but also prophetically, uh, the thing that I see here that I want to draw our attention is, our appreciation. Our appreciation. What do I mean by that? It says in verse 28, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Well, when he had said what? Look at the, look at the verse before it. Verse 27, he says, but uh, well, actually look at verse 26 as well. This is from last week, 26 to 27. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me." Now this was Jesus speaking in parable as a nobleman that had received the kingdom, and he was rewarding faithful servants while punishing those that resisted him, right? That was, he was speaking in parable, and of course the nobleman refers to himself, the ruler that would actually receive the kingdom and reward the faithful servants, but also that there would be severe punishment for those that said we will not have this man rule over us. Now he says that and you think, you know how just kind of rebellious and resistant these citizens in the story that he tells in this parable are that, We're not going to listen to this guy. We don't want this guy to rule over us. And Jesus is speaking, of course, to the people around him that are resisting him, that they have the same kind of hard hearts. And yet, verse 28, he goes on ahead to Jerusalem. Why? Because he knows he's going there to die. Because he's going there to shed his blood for the very hard-hearted, resistant hearts that he just got done speaking to. Because you and I, if we have a bad day with someone, we're like, we're writing this person off. I mean, that's our immediate response. I'm not saying that we land there, hang, hang, the Holy Spirit knocks on her, you can't do that, you can't act that way, you must turn around and say something nice. Right? But we don't really say we're going to go to the cross over it. In our appreciation, if you're taking notes, understand that Jesus had all the power. We know this because of the parable he just gave. He's going to have, of course, he, the power already resided in him, but he was going to have the power to judge the nations, to divide the sheep and the goat, to give a sentence of life or death. He has all the power. He has all the authority. He has all the purity. No one else has pure motives on earth but Jesus. He has all the purity, all the righteousness. And yet he keeps moving towards the cross, knowing that what awaits him there is death and humiliation, and this was the will of the Father. Jesus said that I only do the will of the Father What was the will of the Father? Well, He sent His only begotten Son. John Taller said, None of us ever desired anything more ardently than God desires to bring men to a knowledge of Himself. Think of your greatest desire. The greatest desires that you have right now today, God knows what they are. God's greatest desire was to bring men to a knowledge of Himself. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were unified in that desire. Let us, all the way back in Genesis, unified in this desire. Jesus was laser-focused on securing our redemption. Do you believe that? He was laser-focused. Nothing would deter him. Laser-focused. You know that uh, in the book of John it tells us that the priest, at this time the high priest had already given orders, if anyone saw Jesus to secure him and arrest him, or hold him until they got there. Jesus is publicly walking right in their midst. It's kind of weird that the, on the one hand, they give this command, but no one touches him and arrests him. It's like the Holy Spirit gives this tension of, one, they hate him, but it's not their time yet to grab him. But he very publicly walks him. You and I, if we knew where we would go was going to get us in La we probably would avoid and go a different direction. But no, his eyes are fixed on Jerusalem, fixing Jerusalem. His eyes fixed on securing our redemption. This was His desire. This was the express will of the Father. The Father gave His Son. This was the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was on Him. Because you need the Holy Spirit, Jesus uh, gives us that representation that we also need the Holy Spirit to be able to walk out and to do the things God has called us to do. Now Jesus, for the third time, you might recall in Luke uh, 18, Back when we were just, uh, you know, we we're talking you know, 40, 50 verses ago, in the 18th chapter, remember Jesus said, "I'm going up to Jerusalem." Verse 31, and all things that are written about the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. Verse 32, chapter 18. He will be delivered to the Gentiles and be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge and kill him. And on the third day he'll rise again. That was the third time that he had told them that, and remember, it went over their head. They didn't understand it. That he was on a rescue mission them in the
1: world, knew that he would become He would a mission that we, that the world needed, that they needed, and it would cost him everything. He knew that he would be
2: viciously beaten. He knew that he would be mocked. He knew that he would be split up. By. He knew that he would be made up to wooden beams. He would have a, bit of a cross over here. It's not going to a cross, but a whole
1: different thing. A person is hanging out. He made into it. He knew that that was going to happen. I'm just going to to with the
2: movie. when the true worship was the worshiper's worship father and the spirit of Jesus. That Jesus would say the true worshipers means what? what before. Here, the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worship was the worship the father and the spirit of Showing respect. Admiration for someone. There's all whatever it is. They're really kind of pathetic. People are obsessed enamored people. Before you Jesus tells them, I tell you that even if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Did you know that the Bible says that you realize that rocks worship God more than some
0: people do right now? Psalm 96: 911 says, "Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad, let the sea roar and all of its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it that is in it, and all the trees, the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for He is coming. Listen to the rest of it, for He is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with His truth. The psalmist knew that, when, when you see the awe of nature, they are already testifying to the glory of God. That the Lord, Did you realize that rocks worship God more than some people do right now? Psalm 96: 911 says, "Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad, let the sea roar in all of its fullness. Let the field be joyful in all that is in it, and all the trees, the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for He is coming. Listen to the rest of it. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. The psalmist knew that when, when you see the oceans moving, you ever been in awe of nature? They are already testifying to the glory of God. That if you have those jaw-dropping moments, the first time you get to the edge of the Grand Canyon, it's testifying. Those rocks that they say are billions of years old, and we believe or not, uh, those things are testifying of the Lord his glory. And I want to close with this. You know, when Jesus returns, he's not going to be on a fall of a donkey. He who sat on was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Exactly what Psalm 96 was referring to He's coming to judge the earth. Uh, His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head was many crowns. He had a name written on himself that no one knew except himself. He was great worship for. Do you worship him with the commitment of your life? Is your worship dependent on circumstances, or is it built on the rock of his grace and appreciation that he fixed his eyes on Jerusalem for your sins and mine? Amen? Let's close. Revelation 19, starting verse 11, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Exactly what Psalm 96 was referring to. He's coming to judge the earth. Uh, His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head was many crowns. He had a name written on himself that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. Isn't that an awesome name for Jesus? That's why we study the scriptures here. The Word of heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it was called Faithful and True. Revelation 19, starting verse 11, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Exactly what Psalm 96 was referring to—he's coming to judge the earth. Uh, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head was many crowns. He had a name written on himself that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Isn't that an awesome name? Awesome name for Jesus. That's why we study the scriptures here. The word of God and the armies in heaven, clothed in white linen, white and clean, followed him on horses. There would be another throng of people with him, but these are really the true worshipers that worshiped him in spirit and truth. This should be us. Out of his mouth goes the shoulders here. The word of God and the armies in heaven, clothed in white linen, takes the, the remnant of Israel that Jack had mentioned, the remnant, he then takes them and leads them to the Mount of Olives right in where he will enter in to the glorious city. And the second takes them and leads them to the Mount of Olives right in where he will enter in to the glorious city. And the second part of Psalm 24, verse 8, the second part, I read the first part about the gates being lifted up, but then it says, who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Christian, I close with asking you, is he your King of glory? Is he your King of glory? Is he the one you have great Admiration for, great worship for? Do you worship with the commitment of your life? Is your worship dependent on circumstances or is it built on the rock of His grace?